Hey there, I'm Kristen Carr, women's minister here at Johnson Ferry, and I'm thrilled to welcome you to the JF Women Bible Study Podcast. I'm so glad you're taking time to tune in. It may just be the best decision of your week. Our goal with online Bible study is to help you find time to be in the Word amidst your busy schedules and full lives. I'm praying these next few minutes will be life-giving, encouraging, and challenging as your Bible study leader walks you through a fresh week of unpacking truth from God's Word. As she digs into your study today, she'll provide resources and suggest a little homework to help you get the most out of this online Bible study experience. So, ladies, are you ready? Grab your Bible and let's get started. Hi, welcome to Truth Plus Grace. My name is Tiffany Grayson, and this is Chapter 7, Mercy and Grace. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Well, friend, if there was ever a time that felt like, quote, a time of need, it's now, right? Our country is divided over race, politics, and pandemic guidelines. I don't know about you, but some of my friends and family have become more vocal or outspoken on these issues. Others have tiptoed into a black hole or have gone radio silent. Many people feel overwhelmed. Some feel alone. And most, well, they feel uncertain, as we talked about in the last chapter. But hidden in the midst of it all are a few people who feel hopeful. Yes, hopeful. Are you one of those? Hopeful because we believe in a higher power. Hopeful because we know who is ultimately in charge. Hopeful because we know that this world is only temporary. Hopeful because we have faith that God will get us through this. And it is with that hope that we can approach the throne of God with confidence, as it mentions in Hebrews 4.16. When we do approach the throne of God with confidence, as the verse said, it is there that we find mercy and grace and help in our time of need. Now that sounds good. Mercy and grace. That's what we need during this time. Am I right, friend? Mercy and grace. Hmm. Those are nice churchy words, but what do they mean? And if you're following along with notes, here comes your first fill in the blank. Mercy is not receiving a punishment, not receiving a punishment that we likely deserve, not receiving a punishment that we likely deserve. It's compassion for the offender and the opposite of grace. It's compassion for the offender and the opposite of grace. Now, grace is when we receive something that we do not deserve. Grace is when we receive something that we do not deserve. It's unmerited or undeserved favor. It's favor and given completely without strings attached, without strings attached. Let's look to the Bible for an example. Turn with me to the book of Daniel, and that's your next fill in the blank, the book of Daniel. This book tells the story of Daniel and his three friends. Three friends is a fill in the blank. Each of these men were born of nobility, were well-educated, well-educated, and endowed with discernment and understanding beyond their years. They were well-educated and endowed with discernment and understanding well beyond their years. The book of Daniel, as a side note, is based during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was the second king of Babylon, and he is best known as the king who conquered Judah, destroyed Jerusalem, 
and carried the people of the Jews captive to Babylon. He carried all of them to Babylon. All of the heathen monarchs that are mentioned by name in the scriptures, of all of them, Nebuchadnezzar is one of the most prominent and most important ones mentioned. Let's read together in Daniel 3. We'll begin in verse 1. And although I normally read from the New American Standard Version of the Bible, today I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Version. You're welcome to read along with me or just sit back and listen as I read. Again, I'll be reading in Daniel 3, verses 1 through 7. And it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to assemble the satraps, satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all of the rulers of the provinces to attend the dedication of the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all of the rulers of the provinces assembled for the dedication of the statue the king had set up. Then they stood before the statue Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And a herald loudly proclaimed, People of every nation and language, you are commanded when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, you are to fall face down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, when all of the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and every kind of music, people of every nation and language fell down and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Whew, okay, friend, let's talk about this passage, and here comes your next fill-in-the-blank. King Nebuchadnezzar made a statue so that all the people could bow down and worship him. He made a statue so that all the people could bow down and worship him. Friends, it was a statue probably of himself. It was a grandiose expression of his greatness. And scholars believe that the statue's head was likely constructed of gold, but the remainder of the statue was only overlaid with gold because it was primarily made of objects that would have been found in the ruins of Babylon. The statue itself was enormous, towering at 90 feet high, yet only 9 feet wide. To give you a mental picture, scholars believe that it would have stood about as tall and as wide as many of the date palm trees that would have been found in that area at the time. And at 90 feet tall and only 9 feet wide, it would have been a very skinny statue. Once constructed, the king sent word to every leader, leader, that's your next fill in the blank, every leader in the region demanding that they bow and worship him every time the music sounded. Music is a fill in the blank. Every time the music sounded. And scripture is very specific and lists all the types of leaders for that day, leaving no people group out. And then it lists all the types of musical instruments used in that day to make proclamations. Now, as a side note, there were some very unusual words in there. Satraps was one, and that's another form of a governor. It's a governor during that time period, probably of a different region. Another word that you might not have recognized, zither. A zither is another type of stringed instrument. In fact, it's one that is strummed in a different direction. So a couple little fun notes there. However, everyone, Nebuchadnezzar said, was expected to comply. There were no exceptions, and there would be consequences for those who failed to obey. Those who failed to comply would be, and this is a fill in the blank, immediately thrown into a furnace of fire. They would be immediately thrown into a furnace of fire. But what exactly does that mean? Well, 
Some ancient kilns or furnaces were actually shaped like a vertical tunnel. So imagine a tunnel, then imagine it up and down. They were open only at the top, and they had a dome-like um, structure that would be supported by columns. Charcoal would have been used to fuel the fire, and the furnaces were often used to dispose of the deceased, so a crematorium of, of sorts. I'm sure it was used for other things as well. And that, my friend, was the punishment for those who failed to worship the statue that the king had put together. So let's see what happened. We'll continue reading in Daniel 3. I'm going to pick up in verse 8. And it says, Some Chaldeans took this occasion to come forward and maliciously accuse the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. You as king have issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music must fall down and worship the gold statue. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are some Jews that you have appointed to manage the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Okay. Friend, here comes your next fill in the blank. Who are these Chaldeans? They were some priests who were envious of three young Jews named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, you might be thinking, well, who are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Well, they were Daniel's three friends, and they were high-appointed officials in Babylon. They were devout Jews who worshipped God. The priests, or the Chaldeans, as they're noted here, alerted the king that there were three high-appointed officials who were refusing to worship the statue and refusing to worship the king. So let's see what happens next. We'll continue reading in Daniel 3, picking up in verse 13. Then in a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue I've set up? Now, if you're ready... When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue I made. But if you don't worship it, you will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who can rescue you from my power? Oh, the king was furious that there were those who weren't adhering to his proclamation. He called upon the three men and asked them point blank, is it true that you aren't worshiping my statue. He thought, surely they must be confused. They must not understand. Let me call them over and explain this to them personally, face to face, you know, so they'll understand what is expected. Certainly this can be worked out. Now, in my mind, he was confused and angry, and he respected these three men. They were, after all, leaders in his kingdom. They were trusted men, men of authority. He'd probably known them for years. Surely they would not offend him like this. Surely they were just confused by the directive. Surely they would not disrespect him in front of all the other kingdom leaders. In my mind, I imagine him a little red-faced and stumbling through his words, probably trying to get his point across fairly loudly. Surely... They wouldn't make a mockery of his proclamation in this very public setting. But his final question, and here's a fill in the blank for you. His final question was, who is the God who can rescue you from my power? Who is the God who can rescue you from my power? And notice God there is a little G. Oh, that's so telling, isn't it, friend? 
power has gone straight to this king's head. Let's see what they said. And we'll continue reading in Daniel 3, picking up in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God, uppercase G, if the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of the blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. Uh Uh-oh. What do you think about that response, friend? Have you ever felt the prompting to stand up and to defend your religion? Have you ever felt or found yourself in a compromising situation that you need to clarify your position on who you worship? But these men, they set the king straight. They embarrassed the king with his own challenge. Nebuchadnezzar had once called God, and this is your next fill in the blank, the God, capital G, the God of all gods, lowercase g, the God of all gods. That's what Nebuchadnezzar had once said, but he quickly forgot just how powerful God really is. And that's a reference to Daniel chapter two, verse 47. And I put it in your notes. The three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said they had no reason to answer the king's query. They gave the king, do what you need to do, king, type of reply. And then they clarified their response with a God can rescue us from the fire. But if he chooses not to rescue us, we want you to know, Mr. King, that we will never worship you or your false gods. They didn't reply with disrespect. They weren't defensive. They didn't reconsider their commitment level. They just reiterated their position on the matter. So much to learn from these three guys, my friend. How many times do we respond to other people's opinions and beliefs with disrespect? Or how many times do we immediately go on the defensive or become emotionally abrasive? And how many times do we allow others to influence our commitment level? Ooh, that one hurts. Or even worse, let them direct our path. Yet these three just stood their ground figuratively and physically, unwilling to change their position. They were confident in their God. Let's see what happened. I'll continue reading in Daniel 3, picking up in verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage, and the expression on his face changed towards towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more than was customary, and he commanded some of the best soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So these men, in their trousers, robes, head coverings, and other clothes, they were tied up and thrown into the furnace of blazing fire." Since the king's command was so urgent and the furnace extremely hot, the raging flames killed those men who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell, bound, into the furnace of blazing fire. Oh my goodness. Friend, the king was furious. You can almost hear it. You can see it in his face contorting as he listened to these three men explain why they would not be worshiping his lowercase g god or his statue. And because he was so angry, here comes your next fill in the blank, friend. The king wanted the fire turned up. He wanted it turned up. And all of the leaders of his region were watching. He was going to make an example of these three men. All of the leaders in the region were watching. And he was going to make an example of these three men. 
It's important to note at this point that even though the verse says to heat the fire seven times more than was customary, scholars don't believe that it was meant literally. Instead, the use of the number seven here was used to depict the completeness of the fiery furnace. Scripture tells us that the king's request to put these three into the fire was urgent. In verse 22, it tells us that. And therefore, they did not have the time that they would need to increase the fire temperature sevenfold. Instead, scholars believe the king required it to be exceedingly hot, perhaps by adding more fuel or air, which would increase the heat and size of the flame itself. Think of it as adding wood to your fireplace and then blowing air on the flames. The fire immediately rages larger and hotter for a period of time. And that's what we imagine happening then. The fire is raging larger and hotter right now for this period of time. And then the king plucked out some of his toughest soldiers out of his army, and they were probably some of those that were currently standing guard nearby, and he asked them to tie up these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And although scripture isn't clear on the details, I want you to imagine this for a moment. One after the other, the soldiers are leading the three men up the plank toward the top of the furnace opening. The only worried looks were found on the faces of the soldiers. They moved slowly. Unsure of their step, unsure of what to do, were they supposed to go with the prisoners? Were they supposed to stop and push them in at some point? Knowing that the eyes of all the leaders in the kingdom were watching, what exactly was expected of them? They could feel the heat of the furnace as they walked up the plank. Certainly they would be allowed to turn back at some point. And then the three men, now prisoners with shackled hands pulled behind their backs, they moved slowly walking alongside the soldiers, but unfazed by the heat from the fire. Their heads were not hanging down. They felt no shame. They had done no wrong. They were only guilty of worshiping their God, the one true God, not the false gods of the king. So their heads were held high. They raised their eyes to the heavens. Their lips were probably moving as they were praying. To God be the glory, no matter what the outcome. To God be the glory. Only his name shall be worshiped. But as they reached the top, the entrance to the furnace, the place where the dead bodies had been rolled or tossed in before them, something unusual and expected and unexpected happened. Something unexpected. The fire was so hot, blazing so big. Friend, it literally incinerated the king's men. The soldiers were killed instantly. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell into the fiery furnace still bound as prisoners. Let's see what happened. We'll pick up our reading in Daniel 3, verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. He said to his advisors, Didn't we throw three men in, bound into the fire? Yes, of course, your majesty, they replied to the king. He exclaimed, Look, I see four men, not tied, walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Oh my goodness, can you believe it, friend? The king looked down into the fiery furnace. Here comes your next fill in the blank. He looked down into the fiery furnace and saw four people. Four people. And he somehow seemed to realize that one of them was a heavenly being. The term he used translates into an angel type of being. Many scholars believe, and here's your next fill in the blank, that this was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus himself. Many believe that this was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus himself, or theophany. Just think about that for a minute. Just for a minute. 
commanding the guards to shackle, bind, and lead these three prisoners to their impending death, and then witnessing the incineration of the soldiers at the furnace door, and then watching as the three prisoners fell into the blazing fire, and then walking around free from within the flames. Lastly, seeing a fourth person, a heavenly being, with the prisoners within the furnace, what would you think? That, my friend, would be a life-changing moment. Let's keep reading and find out what happens. We're going to pick up with verse 26 and also read verse 27. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and called out, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come out! So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. When the satraps, prefects, governors, and the king's advisors gathered around, they saw that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men. Not a hair of their heads was singed, their robes were unaffected, and there was no smell of fire on them. Hold up here, friend. Did you hear that? He couldn't believe his eyes. He quickly asked those around him, Do you see? That's a fill in the blank. Do you see what I see? That's what the king asked, and they had. Oh my goodness, imagine it for a minute. At that moment in my mind, I imagine King Nebuchadnezzar jumping up, running up the plank, shielding his face from the heat of the fire, you know it was hot, and calling out, trying not to get too close to the entrance where the soldiers had just been incinerated, but calling out to the three men, Come out! Come out! And friend, did you hear how the king addressed those three men? This is your fill-in-the-blank. You servants of the Most High God. You servants of the Most High God. Oh, to be called a servant of the Most High God. Is there any higher compliment? Friend, when God performs a miracle, like the one he put on display that day, there is no question as to who has all the power. In that moment, King Nebuchadnezzar knew there was only one explanation. God was in control. He controlled the fire. He protected his three faithful servants. He had even sent them an angel into the fire to be with them. And all the king's advisors, excuse me, and all the king's leaders, they were a witness to this event that day. In my mind, Again, this isn't scriptural, but just close your mind and close your eyes and picture this as it has been spelled out for us in the scriptures. In my mind, they were close enough to see these witnesses, these other leaders. They were close enough to see. They were close enough to feel the heat from the fiery furnace. They could probably smell the scent of the fire and all that had been recently burnt. Then they watched as the three men were led up the plank and they saw the soldiers burned to death on the spot, and they witnessed the three prisoners fall, bound into the pit, the fiery pit, and then they heard the commotion of the king as he sprang up, trying to see into the furnace. They witnessed the king running up the plank, calling out to the three men. Wiping the smoke from their eyes, they wondered if they, too, were seeing things. Were the three men still alive in there? Was that them, walking around, unbound? with another man in the furnace? And they witnessed the events following that moment, too. They saw with their own eyes and would tell the story for years to come. They saw those men, those three men, climbing out of the furnace that day. The men were fully dressed. Their clothes weren't burned. 
Their hair wasn't singed or smoking. They didn't smell of a furnace or even like they'd been to a campfire. Their skin was untouched, not burnt. That fire had no effect on them. None. None. And that day, the leaders of King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom witnessed a miracle. And that's a fill in the blank. They witnessed a miracle. They learned firsthand of the power of God. The power of God. Let's see what happened. We'll pick up reading Daniel 3, verse 28. The Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god, capital G. Therefore, I issue a decree that anyone of any people, nation, or language who says anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb and his house made a garbage dump. For there is no God who is able to deliver like this. There is no God, lowercase g, who is able to deliver like this. And then the king rewarded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Oh, that day the king was again reminded that the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was the only God who could have such power. He issued a new decree and rewarded the three faithful men who chose to stand for what they believed in and didn't falter, even when they were faced with impending death. Imagine it, friend. Let's put ourselves again, imagine it, and put ourselves in the sandals of those three friends that day as they were led up the plank toward their impending death. They had just told the king... We will not worship your false gods. We will not bow to you. And they're being led up the plank toward their impending death. What would you do? As the men who had escorted you, the soldiers who had escorted you up that plank, suddenly incinerated. Would you run the other direction? Would you jump? Or would you just simply trust God and take that next step? knowing that the next step would send you falling directly into the flame. Would you be hopeful, hoping that God would somehow save you in this very dire moment? Would you be expectant? Would you expect God to save you? Or would you be willing to die for your faith? Because worshiping a false god was not a life worth living. Once the choice was made, And you stepped off that ledge into the furnace. Imagine for a moment how it felt to fall. And then open your eyes and wonder if what you were seeing was real. Standing in the pit of the furnace, surrounded by flames, and surrounded by two of your closest friends, all of you seemingly unhurt. You realize you can't feel the fire. Probably about the same time you see that someone else is in that furnace with you. Who is that, you would wonder? Just imagine, friend, that moment. We aren't given any of the details in Scripture, so we don't know what transpired in the furnace that day. But we can imagine it for a moment. Do you think the angel identified himself? What do you think he said to those three men? Did he calm their fears? Did he ease their physical pain? Did he commend them for their faith? Did he tell them what was to come? Here's a question for you. And I put it in your notes because it's important and I want you to think about it. Here's a question. Do you think that angel appeared for the three men in the fire 
or for those who are outside the furnace to witness? Did the angel appear for the three men in the fire or for those who were outside the furnace to witness? In my mind, it was much like the Holy Spirit, felt by those who are believers, yet seen in the eyes of the believer by those who are yet to believe. That angel was meant for both. The three men in the fire needed him. He fulfilled that need. Those that witnessed the event that day needed to see him also. You have to wonder, without the angel, would they have left those three men in the fire, fiery furnace longer? I mean, they had already watched the soldiers incinerate. They saw the three men fall into the fire, and yet four men stood walking around within the furnace. That angel solidified what they needed to know. God was protecting his men. That fourth person, the angel, was proof of God's mercy and his grace. Mercy was shown in saving their life. That's a fill in the blank. Mercy was shown in saving their life. The men were unharmed. They may have been punished for disobeying the king's command, but instead of a punishment, God saved them and he used them for his glory. Grace, and this is your next fill in the blank, grace was seen in the form of an angel, in the form of an angel. It was unmerited, undeserved, but it was a gift for all to see. God was with those men indeed. The angel was proof of God's power in that miraculous moment. Again, we started off this chapter with a verse, Hebrews 4.16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That verse may have been written hundreds of years later after the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego but it still perfectly illustrates the message of their story. May we do that, friend. May we boldly approach the throne with confidence. God's grace and mercy is available to those who have a relationship with Him. Are you hopeful? Are you ready to take a stand for what you believe? If you haven't already, there's no better time to establish or renew your relationship with our Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this message on grace and mercy. Lord, we thank you for the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we thank you for all the points within that lead us straight back to you, Lord, that you are the one true God. You are the one with the power. And you are the one that loves us and wants to help us in our time of need. Lord, as we personally and as a nation go through such difficult times, I ask that you put your hand upon us and let us feel you, your presence in our life. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <music>